0: Today, we're discussing science, healthcare, cannabis, and fundraising. Join me and our guest today, Caitlin Krebs, co-founder and CEO of Nalu Bio, for a stimulating conversation. Welcome back to Women Leading in Cannabis, where we get real about what it takes for women to raise money in cannabis. You can find us on the PodConnects network, on iTunes, Spotify, and Pandora. I'm your host, Kira Reed. If you like what you hear, subscribe to Women Leading in Cannabis. And stay with us until the end, because we have a new segment, She Had My Back, where we celebrate women who take care of other women. It's a great opportunity for us to elevate women who do the hard work. Welcome to the show, Caitlin, speaking of women who do the hard work. Thank you,
1: Kira. Uh, very happy to be here today. Look forward to the conversation.
0: Me too. Caitlin is an entrepreneur with 20 plus years of healthcare and life science experience. She has a passion for building companies at the frontier of science and technology, cancer epigenomics, eye tracking for Alzheimer's pre-diabetes diagnostics, predictive biosimulation, and now chemistry for cannabinoids. She has held positions in executive management, operations, and corporate development with a focus on commercializing new products and bringing them to market. Caitlin graduated with honors from Brown University with a BS in biology and is committed to realizing the potential of pure, scalable, science-driven cannabinoids. Caitlin, I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you. You've got to give us your background, kind of set the stage for us on your experience, and then tell us how that career trajectory brought you to cannabis and what led
1: you to start NaluBio. Sure, Kira, thank you for that. So I come out of the biotech and life sciences. I'm a biologist by training, as you mentioned, um, but I come out of the biotech and life sciences industry uh, for the last 20 years. I've been at a number of startups, as you mentioned, uh, epigenomics, so cancer genomics, so detecting cancer through blood samples, pre-diabetes diagnostics, Alzheimer's uh, and mild cognitive impairment. And so I I love being at really the intersection of science and technology. And um, about three and a half, four years ago, A another female mentor of mine, Phyllis Whiteley, approached me and asked me if I knew what CBD was. (laughs) I kind (laughs) of chuckled and said, yes, Phyllis, know what CBD, you know, I know what (laughs) CBD is. And um, she said, it's everywhere. But where's the science and data behind it? Uh, Phyllis is a PhD scientist She's been with several pharmaceutical companies, Merck uh, and Roche, and also now is an investor in biotech here in the Bay Area. And we started looking at CBD and cannabinoids and realized there's a huge therapeutic potential. There's just not a lot of data to support, you know, many of the claims that companies are making. And so, um, you know, I I left a... A very uh, kind of corporate job in cancer diagnostics, and decided to start a company with Phyllis as one of my co-founders and another gentleman, Randall Ussery. Uh and we we dove right into it. And you know, I it has been a steep learning curve for me over the last three and a half years. Um,
0: but I'm really excited. That's kind of amazing to hear you say that this has been a steep learning curve. When you've been doing things, I can hardly even pronounce, (laughs) let alone know what they are. Well, you
1: know, it's interesting. This is, you know, this is such a different industry than biotech or life sciences. You know, I'm very familiar with healthcare and insurance companies and getting paid and physicians and doctors and very um you know technical science but you know as you know cannabis and cannabinoids it's a it's a different beast and it's a it's a nascent industry and so um and it you know it's a small community and so getting getting inside the community understanding the companies the players the investors um that's been a a steep learning curve for me but i've i've really enjoyed it um it's you know it's it's always Uh, it's always exciting um, to be in an industry that's kind of on the leading edge or the bleeding edge of um, science and technology.
0: So you mentioned two things that are actually two separate questions. I'm going to kind of conflate them here. So we are here to talk about funding specifically, the Mm -hmm. good, the bad, and the ugly. And I want to hear from you in your funding journey, what have those big, good, bad, and ugly been? But I'm also really interested to know when it comes to fundraising, you know, we all know the challenges of cannabis. That's why we're here. But in the vertical of life sciences, uh, research, the healthcare, the area that you're, you're in, what are the challenges there that are unique to those verticals, to that industry?
1: That's a great question. So, you know, one of the unique things about NaluBio bio, is that we focus both, you know, we're developing ultra-pure consistent cannabinoids through chemistry. We don't touch the plant, and it's a pure chemical synthesis, and we're doing it for two markets. We're doing it for the consumer retail market as an ingredient supplier, B2B business, but we're also developing drugs, new chemical entities based on cannabinoids, but we're changing the chemistry. And so as I went out to fundraise, thinking about the subset of investors that was available, either you have the kind of typical cannabis investors who who invest in plant-touching businesses or ancillary businesses or a combination of the two, or I thought I could go out to the more traditional biotech and life sciences investors, but those are still, those life science investors are still hesitant um, around cannabinoids. Again, we don't touch THC, um, never had it. We don't have it in any of our ingredients. But that was a learning that, you know, we're still on the cutting edge. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping to bring in the biotech and life sciences investors, uh, but they're really not ready yet. So that has been
0: a challenge for us. How many times have you fundraised in cannabis and out of cannabis? And what are the good, the bad and the ugly that you've experienced?
1: Sure. So fundraising in cannabis. This is my first time fundraising in cannabis, outside of cannabis in typical biotech and life sciences um, for three other companies. So the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, we don't. The challenge for NALO is we don't fit in the traditional cannabis investing bucket. Um, most of the cannabis investors investing in a company that also develops drug and drugs and partners with pharmaceutical companies, that's kind of outside of their remit. So that's been a challenge, but with life science companies, they understand the drug development piece of it and the ingredient piece, but they're hesitant to invest in cannabinoids. So as you can imagine, it's like finding a unicorn, Mm -hmm. (laughs) someone who, someone who, um, likes the idea of ultra pure consistent cannabinoids through chemistry, but someone who also values um, the therapeutic potential and and wants to invest in that. And so we have, you know, fortunately enough found um, the right set of investors who believe in both, but I can tell you it was not easy. It was um, quite a process.
0: So when did you begin the process and how long did it take you to, Get actually close your first deal and get money in the bank for the business.
1: So we've raised a seed round and also a series A. We recently closed a twelve million dollars series A round um, led by a group Intrinsic Capital uh, out of Pennsylvania. And so they are they are one of the larger, Cannabis funds, but they understand and value uh, life sciences. Many of their uh, partners and operators come out of a large, big pharma. Um, our seed rounds, uh, it took us probably nine months to raise. And a series A kind of um, with all the bumps and, and challenges probably took us a year. A year to close that, and I talked to many investors across the cannabis industry.
0: So, what was what what was that year about? What where did you start? Would did you consider your year? I had my deck, my pro forma, I had all my paperwork done, I had my targets, or was that one year from point of I need to raise money? Um, to
1: I'd say I need to raise money to close. Um, you know, having done this before, I kind of knew you know, what we needed in the data room and the docs and the materials and the expectations. Um, but you know, I spent a lot of time talking to smaller cannabis funds that really at the end of the day, uh, wouldn't be able to kind of lead and or fund a company to the level that we need to be able to do, um, kind of meet our, our milestones and, and deliver on our mission and our goals.
0: So what were some of those conversations like? How are you pitching? You know, you, you've got experience with this before. You understand some of the challenges. What was the focus of your meetings and how would you assess this is a good fit or not?
1: So, you know, I think the first, the first piece was, does the investor understand the, the opportunity for chemistry to disrupt uh, the hemp industry? And do they understand the analogies like vitamins most of the vitamins that we take today are vitamin C for example it doesn't come from a citrus plant it, it's manufactured in the lab and so it it could very I could very quickly tell if they see kind of the repeatability the scalability of chemistry they got it uh, if they did you know it was worth a conversation if if they were comparing me to other companies and kind of, really uh, steeped in the plant i knew it was, wasn't a good fit automatically as you know many people um, are in love with the plant mm-hmm. and i am in love with the molecules i believe mm. cannabinoids have a huge therapeutic potential um you know and i'm less focused obviously on the plant and more on the opportunity of the the uh, we call the molecules the cannabinoid you know cb Whether it's CBD, CBN, CBC, CBG, THCV, um, that's what we're really focused on. So, first, it was, you know, do they understand the value of chemistry? And then the second is, you know, are they supportive of um, the therapeutic potential of these?
0: And that was the
1: harder part, you know, when I start talking about. in vivo and in vitro assays and testing these things and endocannabinoid receptors, Um, then it becomes an education. And, you know, there was a varying degree of interest or receptivity to that. Some of them would just glaze over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So did you find the fact that you are a woman sitting at the table, did that present any barriers for you or any challenges for you?
1: You know, I think just as we know, women you yeah, are funded what is it 2 to 3% total of the venture 1.9 1.9 1.5. thank you mm-hmm. Kira for correcting mm-hmm. me 1.9% <laughs> so you know it's a challenge for women in general um i think i look very different than most of the uh, cannabis entrepreneurs so i think that was another um hurdle some people liked it some people didn't um I, you know, I, I, I look different. I present different. Um, I, my background is different. Uh, so that definitely I think was a challenge for the traditional cannabis investors and for me. Interesting. So
0: how did it go when you closed your deal? My, my question really is kind of around what does that process look like from, all right, I think this might be a good fit to check in the bank. What does that look like?
1: Uh, it's a long process, <laughs> so you know it's a lot of it's a lot of dating. So actually, um, intrinsic capital partners who led our Series A, I have been talking to them for two years. So we actually they looked at investing in our seed round, um, but we were too early for them. They're more of a a growth, almost a private equity fund. They're a lo- they're one of the largest. In fact, I believe they're the largest cannabis fund um, around. And so, you know, it's really it's a conversation over time and it's proving that we can execute on what we say we're going to do. And we had done that for the last two years. And so when we started kind of the conversations again, we we were now kind of ready at that at that growth stage and that investment. So, you know, I see these relationships with investors as as long term, you know, for for entrepreneurs who are out there um, fundraising, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, one or two conversations and yes, they're in, you know, it's a, it's a continuum education and a, and really relationship uh, building process over time.
0: Exactly. And it's, I mean, you say at the beginning of the conversation was one year, but it was actually several years because you were strategizing long before you even needed the money.
1: That's exactly right. You know, and I think it's, People that, depending on where you are and what stage, what series you're raising, you know, I think it's always helpful to be talking to investors who, you know, will invest in the next round, even if they're not going to invest in this round, because they'll watch you, they'll, they, they track you, they talk to their friends and kind of, they see the progression over time, progress over time.
0: Did you have anyone assisting you in this process or were you dedicating you know, 50, 60% of your time in that last year before you closed your round, um, was that just you or did you have someone else that you hired to work with you to to deal with the investor relations?
1: So um, it, it was me uh, the entire time. So, at, at you know, I had fundraised before, so I kind of knew the process. Uh, my co-founders are also both investors. So I think I had a leg up there on just, you know, what the expectations were and what the needs were. Um, I did look at, you know, accelerators, and I, you know, was pitched by um, many different groups that help to raise money for companies. Um, I found for me that that wasn't uh, productive because the cell was so complex, chemistry, life sciences. Um, you really had to be a very savvy investor. And you know it was, it was hard to teach someone else kind of how to how to do that pitch or how to bring in um, kind of the story and bring it to life.
0: What is next for you on your fundraising journey? Are you looking to scale, sell, or buy?
1: So we're looking to scale and sell. So we're at um, we're at the commercialization stage of multiple cannabinoids. So we manufacture cannabinoid ingredients for, you know, food, beverage, beauty, anyone who wants to put ultra-pure consistent cannabinoids into their products. And so this Series A, um, the capital is used to really um, scale up the technology. So basically manufacturing and then commercializing our cannabinoids. We're also using a portion of it to develop new chemical entities. So that is part of our strategy as well. Um, but the majority is really um, sales, scale and commercialization.
0: Who? How do you identify a company within Canvas? Or are you looking at a pharmaceutical? Does legalization impact it? What are all the things that you take into consideration when you look at a target for who you want to sell to?
1: Yeah, so the targets who we're selling to they need to want um, pure, consistent, no THC scalable ingredients. So that those that um, want you know natural and organic, those are not our targets. Those that are larger kind of CPG companies who really need the same product every time, zero variability, those are our customers. Those who want to remove the stigma of the plant as well are our target customers. Um, and from a regulatory perspective, legalization of THC um, indirectly helps us. It doesn't directly help us, it, it's nor, neither here nor there. I think indirectly, from a perspective, if THC is federally legal, that will help when we go out to raise our Series B.
0: Do you think there are a lot of pharmaceutical companies that are waiting for that to happen before they start swallowing up companies like yours?
1: You know, it's interesting. If you look at the top 10 pharmaceutical companies, five out of the top 10 have already run clinical trials mm. or studies with either CBD or THC. So they're studying this, they're circling it, um, They, you know, Pharmaceutical companies really um, look at this from a data perspective. You know, is there enough data and science to support uh, those those therapeutics? I think yes. If THC is legalized, that will help uh, pharma come around. But they're still actively pursuing this area without legalization.
0: Interesting. Do you think that you have a lot of competition in this space now? Are there a lot of other companies that are doing what you're doing? And if so, how are you differentiating yourself for that sale? And also, when you look at the process of selling, is it different than the process of courting investors? Are you courting the people who you think you might want to sell to, meaning your company, not your products?
1: So from a um, chemist, so so we differentiate ourselves on the chemistry. So really what's special or novel about our chemistry is that it's a very efficient route to creating cannabinoids. So it's a, we, in chemistry, you talk about the number of steps in a reaction. It's it's a very few number of steps, and it's a very high yield, meaning you get out, you know, 70 to 80% of what you are looking to produce. So really That's what's impressive. novel about us is our chemistry. And, you know, myself coming out of the biotech industry, I value IP. And so we have some really uh, impressive intellectual property behind our chemistry, and that's really at the at the crux or the value of the company. And so that's what distinguishes us from our competitors. There are actually very few competitors in this space. I would get that question from investors all the time. Well, this seems this seems like it makes a lot of sense. Why hasn't someone done mm-hmm. it before? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the answer to that is you know the industry is new, and usually you know chemists are not out in a, you know, in a hemp field or a cannabis field, like those two don't intersect very often. And so I think we're at a very unique place where we've got some very smart chemists and biologists who believe um, in cannabinoids. And otherwise, you basically have, you know, kind of growers and extractors. So that's, you know, very unique to us. So there aren't many competitors in this space. Um, when you look at
0: I'm sorry, when you look at a, at your process of sale, right? You want to sell the company. Do you look at it in the same way that you looked at your relationship with investors? Oh, absolutely. When yeah. you just start developing that relationship years ahead of yes. time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think as we know, uh, at least my experience, um, you know, getting acquired by me usually starts off with, you know, some type of project or collaboration or partnership, right? You get to know that entity. And then they realize uh, there's, you know, there's larger value here than just whether it's a customer relationship or a research collaboration in biotech, you realize ah, And that's typically how biotech companies are swallowed up by big pharma. It starts as, you know, an R&D collaboration or maybe a commercial collaboration. And then there's an acquisition. It's a, you know, it's a multi-year process. So yes, I see to your point, it's very analogous. It's about building these relationships and partnerships so that yeah, when we go to sell the company or the technology, um, that relationship has been in process for multiple years.
0: I, that's so fascinating starting out as a project. I don't know that that would really apply to too many other verticals of company um, outside of biotech. It's really interesting. I, I don't think we talk a whole lot. We we focus so much on the investment that we don't really talk about what happens afterwards and what that strategy pivot is going to be. Which is, you know, why I asked the question: buy, sell, or mm-hmm. scale. Um, you know, there's always got to be what is that next step. And it's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that with a business like yours, your next step would definitely be to sell to a biotech. So, if you do that. Are you, is your next plan, because you seem like someone who looks, who projects far into the future, or will you stay in cannabis? Will you start another business or will you exit into something else?
1: So the exit strategy for Nalibio is actually twofold. You could envision that we get acquired by a large chemical company for the chemistry and you could envision that our therapeutics get acquired or we license them or partner them to pharma. Um, you know, this is developing drugs is a 10 year process. You know, I'm in this for the long haul. I have no, I have no, um,
0: you
1: know, I, I'm not naive in how long this, this process takes. I'm, you know, I'm in this probably at least for 10 years. What's next after that? You know, probably whatever the new cutting edge area is. You know, I, I was in pre diabetes before people even accepted that it was a disease. I was in Alzheimer's wow. before people thought you could prevent it. It's actually preventable, which people don't realize. Um, and you know, detecting cancer through a simple blood test—you know—that's also cutting edge. So I, I feel like I'm always on the cutting edge. So I can't predict what's going to be next in ten years, but I can tell you it'll probably be new, <laughs> new and novel. Okay,
0: wait. Before we go, where can we find out more information about how to prevent Alzheimer's?
1: Oh, sure. So neurotrack.com, N-E-U-R-O-T-R-A-C-K.com. Um, also the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, it's I can tell you the the quick and dirty. It's, uh, it's diet, exercise, and cognitive, basically, games or challenges. Exercise is number one for cognition. Diet is number two. There's a mind diet. Um, Martha Clare Morris, incredible diet. Uh, and then, you know, doing things that challenge your your mind, whether it's Sudoku, crossword, dancing, healthy living, healthy living, basically, it's healthy living, they're working on some wow. drugs, the drugs have not been as successful. Um, but it's really, it's lifestyle.
0: Well, thank you, Caitlin. This has been a very stimulating conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your journey with us and being transparent about a pretty mysterious process that a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves kind of in the dark about. So thank you for shedding some light on the process of raising money for a science company.
1: Well, thank you, Kira, for having me.
0: Well, I hope you will stick around for a few more minutes because we have got, She's Got My Back. It's our new segment where we celebrate amazing women who've stood up for other women in cannabis. Our first submission today is from Barbara Jones. She submits Diana Gamzen and. Maggie phillips Bourne of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance. Barbara says these women were paramount in organizing farmers and industry workers to help legalize cannabis in Nevada County, California. This active alliance has several hundred members that benefit from Maggie and Diana's efforts to keep the cannabis industry evolving. They host monthly Get Legit workshops, as well as classes in bookkeeping, soil, pesticides, etc. They organize shade breaks for farmers to help them get off the farm and maintain good mental health. That is awesome. We really do need to take care of the workers in the field. Well done, ladies. And that's not all. They also work to help mold and create the ever-changing policies that rule this world, trying to help create spaces for others in the industry to get involved and grow. Both politicians and farmers appreciate the efforts of this dynamic duo. Well, Diana and Maggie, thank you so much. We appreciate what you are doing for other women in the industry. The next one is from Margot Holy. She writes in about Ignatia, oh, I hope I don't butcher this name, Bacalandro. She's from the Fat Pig Society. Margot says, co-founder of the Fat Pig Society, former Olympic athlete, rolfer and wellness magnet. Ignatia is an amazingly brilliant, generous, and talented woman who's rocking the cannabis CBD world with her clean and superb ethical products. FPS also donates 10% of products to those in need and who cannot afford the medicine. I love it when I read about cannabis companies that give back. Thank you. That is so, so, so important, especially in places like California where our tax rates are ridiculous and really does put a burden on patients. Uh, Fat Pig Society, uh, oh, sorry, here we go. In a world where CBD is all about weak and untested products that fetch a huge amount of money for a very small amount of medicine, Ignatia is changing this with her co-op and internships. Her business model is refreshing and real. She's also a Latina from Venezuela who is breaking through the stereotypes for Latin-Hispanic women. She is a dynamic speaker, and I highly advise you have her on your podcast. Well, I think I have to, don't I? Sounds good. Gratitude. Thank you so much for sending that in, Margot. And uh, ladies, if you have any submissions of women who are doing great things, who've had your back, we want to hear about it. So please send it to hello at womenemployedincannabis.com, and we'll send you the form for you to submit her name and a story about her. Okay, ladies, we have come to the end of another show. I want to thank Caitlin Krebs, my guest today. It was so awesome to talk with her. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Kira. It was a pleasure being here. And if you ladies are interested in joining Women Employed in Cannabis, you can join us on our Facebook group. You can join us on LinkedIn, and you can join us on our website, Women Employed in Cannabis. From there, you can find all of the events that we host, all of the places where you can join our communities. And please stay tuned for more with Women Leading in Cannabis. We will be back next week.